everybody. Welcome to episode number 119 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, I am very, I hate to use the word excited, but I'm very eager to get into tonight's episode because we're tackling a topic that's a little bit different from what we usually do here at BTC. But I can guarantee to you and our lovely listeners, Chris, that it's going to be a very interesting episode. I'm pretty sure as we go through tonight's case, you're going to probably feel a little bit upset, somewhat depressed, definitely disgusted, absolutely enraged. But with all that said, it's my goal to sprinkle a little bit of hope at the end of tonight's episode in order to encapsulate this whole tale to be somewhat of a case of redemption, if you will. So with all that said, Chris, why don't we dive right into it? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yes, because tonight, bud, we are discussing the tragic tale of Tilikum the Orca. Notice, Chris, how I didn't say the killer whale. Oh, no, no, pal. Because it's the first thing I learned here when researching this case. I mean, I knew it before, but for the sake of the podcast, let me tell you this. Orcas are not whales at all. They are but a dolphin. So right off the bat, what we've been told our whole lives is nothing but a lie, Chris. Orcas are not whales. They're dolphins. <laughs> I hadn't known this for a majority of my life, but I think it was a few years ago watching, uh, you know, one of those uh, Planet Earth documentaries or something where they did an episode on orcas. And obviously orcas are definitely worth having their own episode for, which we will go into a lot of reasons why they are so popular to discuss. But that's when they had mentioned that they're dolphins. And I was like, what? Yeah. Because if you really think about it, the way that orcas swim is very similar to dolphins, right? In groups, how they like surface and stuff, it's much different than how you see like your average whale. But in terms of the size of these things, I mean, they're massive. Oh yeah, they're absolutely enormous. But we, you know, you, you mentioned dolphins and you, your standard bottlenose dolphin. They have a reputation of being friendly and charismatic, non-aggressive. But then you start talking about their larger cousin here, the orca, and then that reputation sort of goes down a drain. I mean, yes, they are smart. I guess they could be playful. But, uh, you know, when you get the nickname Killer Whale, uh, it gives it a, a little bit more of a sinister vibe than a, a, a sweet, friendly dolphin. Honestly, if you just look at how they hunt in the wild, it goes from, like, you thinking, oh, my God, these creatures are extremely smart to being, like, this is frightening. I, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think we mentioned it last week, and uh, that, that's what got me on to uh, the, the topic of uh, orcas when we were talking about the uh, SS Kamloops, the uh, ship that went down and got to thinking about marine life and whatnot. And I think we, we referenced that, how an orca could be like a serial killer. Like, they, they, they'll rip your arm off, they'll play with your body for a little bit before they kill you. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they have a lot going on um, in, in their mental capacity that lets them, uh, you know, kind of do what they want with their prey. And most people are thinking at how sharks are so frightening and stuff, and I highly agree with that. A shark is nothing to an orca. No, orca. orca will fuck a shark up quick. Oh, 
and no problem, just just one of them. But they don't they don't just mess around with just one. They work in groups. They they outsmart their prey. They'll force them into shallow water. Or they'll drown them. It, it's just like I mean, I mean you don't think obviously that a, a shark could you know or, or other types of fish or whales can be you know drowned, but they have to come up for air at some point. And these these orcas just they send them deep. They keep them down until they eventually drown, and they just start feeding on them, or they'll. They'll take a seal and they'll they'll flip the thing sixty feet in the air and watch it flop. Those seals go for a ride, <laughs> but they keep them alive, and and so eventually they want to eat them. But it, it's kind of like like we were saying, like some sort of like murderer who's just torturing their prey. It just yeah, it, it's crazy. But uh, let me just uh, correct you on one thing. I think I heard you say, Chris. Uh, I think you referred to a whale as a fish, uh, Mister. Uh, I knew. Killer whales were uh, dolphins <laughs> at the age of four. Uh, whales are actually mammals, Chris. They need to breathe, bud. Please, Chris. We, we, we need to get on with this anyway. We're, we're, we're bullshitting a little bit too much to get going. Uh, and, and, and we need to get into tonight's episode because we're not talking about orcas in general. Well, maybe we are. But more specifically, we want to focus on one orca in particular. And bud, that's Tilcom, the orca. I'm not going to call him the killer whale. I'm going to show him a little more respect than that. We are discussing Tilikum, the orca. Tilikum, like many orcas, was born in his natural environment in Iceland in 1981, where he lived with his family within this orca pod for two years. But unfortunately, on one fateful day in November of 1983... All of that changed, didn't it? Marine Mammal Boy, can you tell us a little bit about what happened to Tilikum in the late fall of 1983? Tilikum, where he got the name at the age of two when he was captured. Which isn't even his real had... name. His mom didn't give him that name. <laughs> so, uh, well... Some goofy-ass human on a boat. <laughs> I, yeah, I also wonder where they get these names from, too, because uh, there's some other names that I'm, I'm just like, what the yeah, f- Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris, I'm already getting pissed. Please continue. <laughs> All right. Well, at the age of two, as you mentioned, uh, Tillicum, or Tilly for short, was living his well, baby life in the waters of Iceland. And he was in his natural habitat with his pod when a Persine net was thrown into water to capture him in November of 1983. Of course, the reason for Tilikum being captured was to take him to Sealand of the Pacific. We learned that this technique of um, netting was taking place in the United States uh, decades earlier out on the coast of the Pacific Northwest, in and around the Puget Sound, where, you know, there's actually old videotape of uh, these boats going out there, dropping nets, and trapping a number of orcas. Because there's actually video of uh, the techniques in which they used. And I saw that on a documentary entitled Blackfish, which you can get for free on Amazon Prime right now. It tells the story of Telecom, but it branches out to basically unmask the the process by which these orcas are caught. And they actually show videotape from, I believe it's, like like I said, the decades earlier, and maybe the early 70s, maybe 1970, 
where they go into the Puget Sound in Washington State and drop netting and attempt to capture these baby orcas within the pod. You know, if you have a heart, <laughs> if you have any bit of uh, ability to, to, to rationalize the nature of a mother and a child or a father and a child or a family unit in general, it, it, it's very uh, disturbing to watch because they capture these orcas as many as they can within this netting, but they only want to keep the babies, the calves, because that's where the money is. They can obviously ship them uh, to these different locales where they can be transported at a, at a lighter weight, obviously, and they'll be easier to train. And we'll get into all that in just a little bit. But the footage that they show, Chris, is just absolutely heartbreaking because they're, they're catching these babies and they'll drop the netting so the, the mother and the father or the larger whales can get out. But as they get the netting around uh, the, the calf and they're loading it into the ships there, the larger orcas are on the sides of the boat. They're refusing to leave. And they're bobbing their head above the water and screaming and crying for the calf that the humans have captured and now have on a boat. So you can imagine the psychological damage that's being done right then and there for both the parents and the calf. But it gets even worse, Chris, because they interview a couple of the, the guys that worked on these vessels at this time. And they said that some of the larger orcas would get stuck in the netting. So rather than help them escape, what they would do is kill them. They would basically cut them open, throw rocks in their chest, and then tie an anchor around their tail and let them drop to the bottom of the ocean. So, I mean, you're not only dealing with, for all intents and purposes, kidnapping. I mean, you're dolphin napping, you're mammal napping, Chris. But then you're killing whales that are of no use to you i mean this is disgusting on all fronts and i'm not virtue signaling here chris i mean i was really disturbed watching this it really pissed me off i have problems with anything involving the capture or killing of any animal really just because of how defenseless they pretty much always are <laughs> maybe not orcas they're i can't say that they're defenseless but in this situation they definitely are because there's nothing that they can do to stop them from taking the calves but what makes it worse, too, is I, I will understand or condone, I guess, sometimes when they have to capture an animal for its own good, if it's something health-related, something to help the animal out, or if it's doing research to like help that particular animal or species thrive eventually because something's going on with it. But when you're doing it purely for entertainment, that's like next-level fucking hell right there. Yeah, and we're going to be uh, discussing the reasons they do this in just a little bit, but uh, I'm sure our listeners <laughs> already know what's coming. Like, I, I don't want to sound nuts. Like, I mean, I've been to a zoo. I've been to the Bronx Zoo and whatnot. It's not something I, I, I seek out to do regularly. But after watching a couple of documentaries and, and, and researching this a little bit, man, I mean, it, it's difficult to even support that. And I, you're right. If you're going to have any kind of animal display or showcase or whatnot, it should definitely be more on a side of something that's adding to the quality of the animal's life, like a, like a rehab center. Because, I mean, you would definitely be able to draw a crowd. People would be interested in seeing that. They'd be interested in seeing the animals. And you're providing a service both ways. But for the sake of what we're talking about with these orcas here, I mean, they are being caught and captured for nothing more than entertainment purposes. Like you said, 
They're taking this thing out of its natural environment to go have it be used as a fucking surfboard down down in, in, in SeaWorld, you know, in Sealand and all this shit. <laughs> Chris, please. This is already uh, sending me down a, a dark path. But uh, anyway, on his documentary, Blackfish, it, it does go back to this original video in, in the 1970s of them capturing these dolphins. And it, it's very tough to watch. But in turn, it also shows us the intelligence that these creatures have. It shows us the paths that the orcas took. Like they were being chased by these vessels and the adults without calves would lead them down onto uh, this dead-end cove while the mother and their young would take off the other way and then try to head into uh, the ocean. And they were successful at fooling the ships. But unfortunately, Chris, the persons that were trying to capture the whales had something else at their disposal that helped them track the orcas, didn't they? Oh, indeed. They... Unfortunately, it had spotters uh, via airplane, so at that point, there's just no hope. They have to eventually come up for air, and then the plane spots them, and that's it. They call it into the vessels. They track them down. They get them into a cove themselves where they can't escape, and then they throw the nets, and it's game over. Yeah, and I mean, like we said before, I mean, they're just so massive, there's no hiding, and they have to come up for air, so once you spot them... It, it, it's it's game over for them. Like I said, that's the footage from 1970, but uh, let, let's move back to 1983 when our man of the hour here, Tilikum, was actually captured off the coast of Iceland. So Tilikum is, at this point, he's two years old. They capture him, and they bring him to a holding pen. I mean, right then and there, even though he's still in Iceland, he's got culture shock. Yeah, and, and you know completely separated from your, you know, your pod at two years old. I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure exactly when the calves can eventually stop feeding off of their mother and stuff. So I'm not sure what kind of care is necessary at this point for a two-year-old. And who knows if they've even done that kind of research that they even know, you know, it's, there was very little research at the time on these things. So it was kind of like learning as they were going along. I actually read that orcas will stay with their mom in these pods for as long as possible. Yeah, I, I, I think I heard reference to orcas in terms of parenting are about as the best there is out there in, in the in the world. They, they just how they stick with and care for their own. Uh, and that makes this all the more tragic. So Tilgum is staying in the zoo in Iceland for roughly a year. They're basically a holding pen to kind of get him acclimated to dealing with human beings. And then it's in 1984 or maybe early 85 where he is then transferred and flown across the globe to Sealand, which is located on Vancouver Island in Canada. So remember, I, I, I jokingly said culture shock, but get this, Chris, it really is culture shock because I found out that orcas that may be living in uh, the North Atlantic in Iceland compared to orcas that are swimming in the Pacific Ocean off the uh, West Coast. They speak different languages. They have different habits. So basically, it really is like being dropped into a completely different culture. Right. And on top of that, Tilikum's a male. And when it comes to orcas, it's a very matriarchal structure there. So the the females are top dog there. Even though he was huge, I mean, within the society, you know, the, the, the ladies ruled. 
Because, you know, we should have noted that when he was pulled out of uh, the North Atlantic at two years old, he was already 11 and a half feet long. So he, he was huge. And then when he, they actually moved him to Sealand at the age of four, I have uh, in my little notes here, Chris, he was 16 feet long and over 4,000 pounds at that point. And he's still getting bullied. Jeez. He's still getting bullied. Yeah, you're right. And, and it doesn't matter how big you are. It's really just a matter of aggression. And, and, and the females are just more aggressive. Yeah. And then in, in uh, you know their natural habitat, they can swim away. I mean, you, you have millions of miles uh, of ocean to, to, to get the hell away from these lunatics if they're trying to, to, to hurt you. But it, when you're in this little pool that's essentially the size of a bathtub to these creatures, I mean, there's nowhere to run. And there's nowhere to hide. But anyway, you know, Tilikum makes his way to uh, sea land, and uh, he has a rough go of it, doesn't he, Chris? Yeah, so since he, being a male, is left in a tank with two f- older females, you can only imagine what this means for Tilikum. And they, what they would do is they take their teeth, and they actually rake the sides of whatever orca they're going after, and w- what looks like claw marks basically running along the side of thing and you and there's actual blood that comes out too i mean these cuts go very deep so it's just constant hounding and abuse it eventually forces them to separate them and and so you're now talking about a situation where maybe that tilica might be in a situation where he's in a smaller pool than he was with the two females so anyway chris uh our man tilicum he tries to make the most of it or they, they they force him to make the most of it and he is living uh, his life here at Sealand in uh, Canada. The years went on and uh, Tilikum became uh, pretty much the star of the show because his size and, and weight, he just grew and grew and grew. And he was actually the largest dolphin that they had in captivity. So he was basically the star of the show. But that all came to a screeching halt on February 20th of 1991. Didn't it? Whenever you're done, I can. <laughs> get didn't it, Chris? Didn't it? <laughs> yes. On February 20th of 1991, unfortunately, the first major incident occurs with Tilikum in the tank. There was a Canadian student by the name of Kelty Lee Byrne. She was uh, actually a competitive swimmer, but she really loved dealing with animals, so she wanted to train animals as well. She was working with Tilikum, Nuka, and Haida, which were the two females that were also there. While basically working on one of her shifts, she slips and falls into the pool with the orcas. And at this point, it becomes an absolutely horrific scene. Kelty ends up getting her foot pulled by one of the orcas. When you're in the water, you're you're completely defenseless. You're right? at their mercy. You're in, you're in their territory, bud. Absolutely. There's no way. If they want to let you go, you let go. If they don't, you're not going anywhere. And so she is being now tugged by her foot and constantly being dragged underwater. Bear in mind that in the wild, this is a similar situation as to what an orca might do with, let's say, a seal. They like to play around with them. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're about to kill them, but they do a lot of playing. And 
And unfortunately, what they might think is playful could also be deadly, especially to a human who can't breathe underwater. So she is constantly being dragged underwater. There's situations where she eventually surfaces enough to start screaming and she lets out the words, I don't want to die. And, and there are people who are actually witnessing this happen. There's absolutely nothing they could do about it. And so while they try and try to get a net out there uh, or, or something to, to be able to get her back in, it's unfortunately too late. Uh, the orca had uh, pulled Kelty under for long enough that she lost consciousness, but, but refused to give up her body to anybody. So there she lay unconscious and eventually, you know, she dies. Oh man, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. This poor young girl. You know, it's, it's just a dangerous situation all around because, you know, you got to realize that these are indeed wild animals. So regardless of what, at least looking at it from an outsider, like, you know, regardless of what kind of relationship you think you have with these animals, they're still wild animals and they can, Flip on a dime. So you can't fully trust them. And, and, and case in point, with this tragedy. And you really have to think about it too. Even if you knew their behavior in the wild, they're in a, in a captive situation here. They're not going to behave the same way. You can't expect that they're going to behave in the wild the same way they would behave in this tank where they're constantly being abused. Like in the situation of Tilikum being abused by these other two. These things aren't just going to forget that. They're they're on edge. There were eyewitnesses there that day, and they say that they felt that the theme park itself was not in great shape. Essentially, they felt like the, the swimming area looked pretty dingy. You know, the, the park itself was unkept. So if you see those visual aspects, if you're walking around, you know, the park, imagine what's going on behind the scenes. And then that, that can't bode well for the animals that are there. And I think there's actually worth mentioning here because I never think I actually said who or which orca it was that was pulling uh, Kelty underwater. There was this sense that it wasn't Tilikum that did it and that it was Nuka and Haida that were messing around with her and eventually led to her death. But you'll see in this documentary that a couple eyewitnesses said that they flat out knew exactly which one it was and that it was the male tilicum because tilicum has the curved dorsal fin and we'll get into later about this curved dorsal fin because as they uh, the park would have you believe this was not uncommon in the wild that 25 percent of males would exhibit this in the wild which is completely false but that was the way for people to distinguish exactly who tilicum was and he was the one that had kelty it's an easy, identifiable marker for anybody that might be in the crowd and was there to witness the fate that had befallen this poor young lady. So if you see three orcas swimming around and you're trying to identify which one pulled this girl under and you say it was the one with the collapsed dorsal fin, well, Chris, there was only one orca there with a collapsed dorsal fin. And that was Tilly. At this point, he is still held at Sealand. And in 1992, Tilikum was then sold to the SeaWorld theme park down in Orlando, Florida. Your hometown, Chris. And he was there solely for the purpose of performances and breeding. The breeding aspect comes into question because, you know, now seeing that 
Tilikum is indeed capable of acting in an aggressive manner, I don't know if you're going to be wanting to pull as much <laughs> semen from uh, Tilikum as you can if uh, he's going to be showing that he has this aggressive side. But nonetheless, that's what they do. And he's kind of swimming under the radar, if you will, for quite some time. That was until July 6th of 1999. That's when old Tilikum makes the newspapers again, Chris, doesn't he? Yes, indeed he does. This time, we find out that a 27-year-old man by the name of Daniel P. Dukes decided to break into, or they actually suspect that he may have snuck into the area where the orcas are kept and hid uh, before the place closed down. And then he decided to come out and go for what we assume is some sort of a joy swim with an orca. And so he ends up going into the tank with Tilikum. I can't think of anything more frightening than to jump in the water at night with an orca. I mean, I'm guessing that this gentleman must have had something going on mentally to kind of propel this action. This is about as dangerous of an activity as you can choose to do. Yeah, clearly not dealing with a full deck here, making the decision to to dive in unattended and untrained, of course, into a pool with an orca. And it goes just about as you would expect it would with Tilikum. Chris, Chris, what happened? Please. Don't, 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 don't get cute with us, Chris. Please, what happened? <laughs> well, we don't exactly know what happened. We do know the next morning, though, however, that Dukes' corpse was laying atop Tilikum. Like he was wearing it as a scarf, basically. Unfortunately, which they don't, of course, tell you at first, it ends up being a little more graphic than just that, because it appears that Tilikum had stripped Dukes of his clothing and began gnawing in her, eating off parts of his body. And he was in very bad shape, obviously he's deceased, but we don't know if this occurred while this was happening or after he was deceased, but uh, apparently his genitals were missing. It was a disturbing scene, apparently. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is that SeaWorld claims that they have no video evidence of any of this taking place. However, Chris, it's noted that SeaWorld has 24-7 surveillance video all around these tanks. And it was actually a night trainer that was supposed to be on duty. So, I mean, it begs the question, how did nobody see or hear anything? I think I have an answer for that. Of course, this is not documented, so we can't say for a fact. But I think that they absolutely saw Dukes jump in. They made an attempt to get him out. But, of course, like with Kelty, they had no shot in hell at doing it. And so that they were left to pick up the pieces when Tilikum was done. And this is at nighttime too, dude. So, I mean, this is just in the dark to me, it doesn't matter what's in the water at that point. If you're in the dark in a body of water and something's thrashing around in there, I can't. Like I said, you, I've said a bunch of times, I can't be. I can't even be in a pool in the dark unless it's lit up. I will not go in any body of water at in nighttime when it's dark and I can't see what the hell's going on around me. Never mind having a living, breathing creature in the goddamn thing. So, 
yet another death gets tacked on to Tillicum's history of offenses here, which I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like the Orca is to blame because of obviously the conditions that Tillicum has been put in, which are clearly a driving factor here. But perhaps we should say what, uh, what they ruled this as. Well, <laughs> you'll love this one, Chris. SeaWorld ruled this as a drowning by way of hypothermia. <laughs> Laughable. Meanwhile, Tillicum popped his balls off like they were grapes, chewed the rest of this poor guy's body up, and like you said, had the body draped over him the next morning, and they had to close the pool off to clean up parts of Dukes' body. I mean, this is terrible. And then they have the audacity to say that this is just a drowning? Come on. Regardless, he made the decision to jump in this thing and, and trespass. But nonetheless, I mean, at least provide his family with uh, some bit of decency. Obviously, this is all to save face because the second that they tell the public that Tillicum killed, regardless of the circumstances, whether or not he fell in or, you know, slipped in or whatever, it, that doesn't matter because now in the minds of everyone who goes to these things, they'll know that it doesn't matter how you fall in, this thing is capable of killing. That would be instant death for the, the park. I mean, who wants to go there to potentially witness a trainer or somebody end up getting killed? And now we know for a fact that this has already happened once before. It's interesting because if you see the documentary and you start getting the points of view of the trainers, and they basically tell you how they kind of just continuously hide the fact that Tillicum has shown signs of aggression towards even the trainers that are supposed to know how to deal with him. It just really goes to show you that they will do anything to keep the money rolling in. And they don't care who, apparently, gets killed. Well, the yeah, process. they have tickets and uh, little uh, Tillicum stuffed animals to sell, Chris. But, I mean, in all seriousness, you're dealing with an abused animal. I mean, regardless of how... The, and I'm not saying this against the trainers as far as them being abusive to the, the, the orca itself. But, I mean, just the overall environment. You're taking... Anytime you take a creature out of its natural environment and put them in a situation they're unfamiliar with or that's unnatural to them, there is going to be some form of, of psychosis or, you know, whatever kind of psychological issue you may want to throw in there. But it's going to create some kind of abnormality in the behavior. And, and that goes for myself, too. If you took me right now and airlifted me and dropped me into uh, China right now, I'm going to start flipping out. <laughs> Let's think about this now, because this is 99, right? And so we know that Tillicum was captured in 83. So he's now 16 years in a tank. Oh, God, that's awful. Having to deal with tricks and this and that. And, Bill, why don't you remind us what the lifespan is typically of orcas, wild orcas, that is. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm happy you asked. Because, Chris, uh, this is very interesting. Orcas in the wild have lifespans that are very similar to that of humans. Whereas the female orcas live a little bit longer. They can live upwards of 100 years old. And the, the males will go upwards of 65 to 70 years old. I mean, they're, the males are much larger. <laughs> and the fact that the women are, are, are bullying them and stressing them out, I mean, that can't bode well for, uh, for their overall health. But nonetheless, 
they live a very long life. And that's exactly what SeaWorld tries to tell the patrons that come there to visit. Right, Chris? <laughs> oh, are you ever wrong? <laughs> it's offensive to orcas, really, is what it is. They, if they could only defend themselves, which, well, maybe they can, but what these parks are, and I, I can't necessarily really blame the people that are funneling this information out. They're just really telling people what they're told. So these tour guides and stuff that are showing people around the park and no, giving you can't information blame about orcas. No, it's not, like they, they're, yeah. they're, it's not like they're trying to be deceitful. I mean, I, I don't even think these people have any kind of training in marine biology to any degree. You know, like you were saying to me before we, we started recording, all these people are easily replaceable. So I'm going to assume the veiled threat where if you don't want to spew this information, we'll get somebody who will, basically, coming from the higher-ups. Right. Absolutely. And so what they're told to do is when people ask how long the whales live, they tell them, well, their average lifespan is around 25 to 30 years. And they go even further and have the audacity to say that they live longer in captivity because they're able to get the care that they can't get in the wild. So they're really just fooling the public so that there's no sort of outrage and now, if you listen to the dog, we really have to watch this Blackfish documentary because it's got a ton of great information. And this one guy, uh, he even mentions, he says, by the 80s, that, you know, they had been studying orcas enough to know what their lifespans were. So they had already known at this point that they were living anywhere from 60 to 100 years old. Well, yeah, I, I like that guy. Know. He was basically, like, laughing at some of the shit they were saying. That he, like, he, he knew that they were just completely full of shit. That guy had a lot, a lot of good information, and he clearly knows the workers better than these fucking people do. But nonetheless, basically what's going on here is they they will do just about anything to make sure that there is no public outrage or that people decide that they do not want to come to the park because these things are being kept here and it's shortening their lifespan. So they're told that they're actually living longer in captivity. So it's 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 a greedy veil that they're just putting over you know, to get these tickets sold. Yeah, it, it's not a good thing. And I don't know how popular SeaWorld is anymore. I mean, I'm assuming that there has to be a decrease in, in overall revenue and, and popularity since, at least since this documentary Blackfish came out. But anyway, Chris, uh, the tragedies don't stop there with uh, Daniel Dukes, unfortunately, right? Because uh, jumping ahead now to February 24th of 2010... Tilikum once again makes headlines, and this time, this is a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yes. This actually had to do with a trainer, an experienced one at that. So she was actually doing a show called Dine with Shamu, and now you've probably all heard of Shamu before. Um, at least I do. I remember that name more than I do Tilikum. Before I get into what actually happens to this trainer by the name of uh, Dawn Branchu, it's worth noting that not only was captivity such a big issue with the wild-caught orcas, they eventually use Tilikum as a way to mate with the females. And so they continuously get these females pregnant, they artificially inseminate them, and they will continue breeding in captivity now. And so obviously that's much easier than having to go out in the wild and try to catch them, especially if it's illegal. But just to give you a sense at how 
heartbreaking what they do here with the captive the ones bred in captivity shamu was bred in captivity but then she's taken from her mother and shipped to orlando so in this process the trainers specifically remember the behavior her mother was exhibiting as soon as this happened she was apparently using these long wave frequency calls and stuff which is obviously what you would do probably in the wild to send the signal as far as possible to try to find your calf and so obviously that wasn't going to happen here because she's in a little tank and shamu was being shipped off to another location but the crying and the constant behavior that they had never seen before until this occurred just goes to show you they knew exactly what this was doing to the orcas when they separated it, it, it's heartbreaking man it's heartbreaking she was actually calling out to, to to send long distance messages in hopes that she can contact the calf to come back and as you were mentioning before too that you know they're putting these orcas together they're claiming that they're putting them together in a pod as if an orca from one location is the same as an orca from another but it, we know that that's the complete opposite truth it's just not that's, true at all yeah, they, they're, they have different languages, they, they speak differently, they have different behaviors. So this, you can imagine, causes even more stress in the tank when you have whales that are unfamiliar with their language or behaviors. So this is all just to say, leading up to this moment, why these orcas are behaving the way they are. But So Dawn was in a situation where she was in her post-show routine. And again, somebody who is a veteran trainer here, Tilcom ends up grabbing her by her ponytail and drags her into the water. We're, we're talking about a post-show routine, so there's people here that are witnessing this. Uh, regardless of the, the fact that the show is over, this was not uh, after hours or, or on a day that the shows weren't occurring. So she gets pulled under and Tilcom grabs Dawn by the arm and the shoulder and then he, he scalps her and then bites her arm off and actually swallows it. Apparently, what they think happened is that Tilikum, who was doing like a, a peck wave, his pectoral fin, waving that in the air, he missed a call. He didn't hear the whistle or not to come back and get his reward, which would be the fish. So he went around the entire pool rather than just going halfway and coming back. So then... Dawn didn't give him the reward, apparently, like up front. And there was like a three, I forgot what they said, but there were there was a protocol that she used where basically tells him he didn't do the right thing. So at that point, they say that you could kind of tell that his demeanor switched. The way I look at it, these, these orcas are basically ticking time bombs, right? So anything that goes wrong is going to ignite a fire within them. But as you said, it was post-show and... Uh, uh, Tilikum was there at the edge of the pool and he grabbed Dawn and took her right under. Like you said, we find out she was scalped, but you know that that plays a big role again here in what actually happened to her because SeaWorld at this point in time contended that Dawn, pretty much blaming the victim here, saying that Dawn was at fault because she had the ponytail and she knew that she was not supposed to have a ponytail while working with the orca because it could be some kind of trigger for them and thus cause an incident like this to happen. Not only is that sick, but if you have to tell somebody not to have a ponytail because it could trigger an incident, 
That tells me right there that I would never want to be in the water. What do you know what the trigger is going to be? It could be a hand wave. What if you're dangling your hand in the water and that fucking triggers the orca to, to do something that it, it doesn't normally do? How about this? I mean, you got a bunch of other trainers around. You have people all over the facility, so they must all know the protocol, so nobody's going to say anything to her. And then Dawn here, who's a senior trainer, all of a sudden she's miraculously going to forget one day to, to put her hair up? Doesn't make sense. So, Chris, I think at this point, as you had mentioned to me earlier on, Dawn's death, it wasn't in vain. There were very heated legal proceedings that followed as to trying to uncover what actually caused this. But this did lead to somewhat of a moment of clarity as to maybe, just maybe now, keeping these marine mammals... <laughs> These these large, and in Tilikom's case, 12,000-pound marine mammals, keeping them in captivity may not be the best idea. Yeah, I think the signs were there a long time ago. But now, given that their hands are tied and that they can no longer sweep this under the rug, you have no other choice here. I mean, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. And after Dawn passed on February 24th of 2010, we find out that SeaWorld throws Tilikum right back into the performance tank on March 30th of 2011. Essentially one year after Dawn's death, they still decide to put Tilikum out there and have him perform. And what I wanted to say, and I should have mentioned at the beginning of the show, there have been, get this, Chris, four deaths caused by captive orcas. Tilikum is responsible for three of them. Like, that just goes to show you, like, how much they needed this orca because I think he was responsible for half of the orcas that they had in captivity were because of them breeding from Tilikum's semen. So, like... I, I mean, and they even get up close and personal in this <laughs> blackfish <laughs> as where uh, they show us Tilikum's... Tilly, and uh, how they uh, kind of get the uh, semen out of him. So it's very graphic. And, uh, I mean, I would hate to have to do that job. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and what if you push the wrong button there? Um, <laughs> but, Come on, man. But the, the more disturbing thing is that they use Tilikum for breeding so frequently. He was a very large male. They obviously liked something about him. But... He showed so much aggression over his time. I mean, if you're speaking relatively to any other orca, why in hell, in the hell, would you want to replicate something that had these issues throughout its life? So now you're potentially going to have an orca that exhibits the same behavior as Telecom down the road. I mean, you're only increasing your chances the more and more you do this. 100%. And I mean, I'm not blaming Telecom here either. You know, I mean... With a creature this large, I mean, you're just begging, you're you're pleading for an accident to happen. And my God, did they get it. But unfortunately, Chris, we find out that on January 6th of 2017, SeaWorld announced that Tilikum had passed away. And apparently his cause of death was a lung infection due to bacterial pneumonia. And get this, this pneumonia is very common within orcas held in captivity. So there's another reason for you. Maybe we need to rethink this whole process. Yeah, because 
you know, Tillicum dies at the age of 35. So if you were going by uh, the park's numbers, this would be a very long life for an orca. But what we know is that this would be a very young life for a wild orca. The, you know, the, under these circumstances, they clearly produced a situation that caused Tillicum's health to deteriorate earlier than normal. Like I said, it's a horrible story all around for the individuals that lost their lives and for Tillicum himself, for all of these orcas held in captivity to this very day. Chris, you know, I actually have a couple little facts here that I wanted to read off. Apparently to this day, as of today, there are 60 orcas still held in captivity in 15 different parks in eight different countries. You know, it may not sound like a lot, but it's still, you know... A decent number. And get this, this is very disturbing. Since 1961, more than 160 orcas have died in oceanariums worldwide. So 160 deaths of orcas that have been held captive. This just shows you how unnatural this is for them. Yeah, and, and just a quick mention into the Blackfish documentary, they actually note um, about how every once in a while there would be orca deaths in the tank due to the fights that would occur by uh, from the other orcas. Oh yeah, the fighting between female orcas, male orcas, and everything in between basically, you know? And they would actually find orcas dead in these small pools. I mean, it doesn't get any more horrific than that. But as I said in the beginning of the show, here at BTC, we do like to end on a positive note. If we can, if we could sprinkle a little bit of positivity, a little bit of hope, that's how we're going to end it. And I, I think, Chris, I think, I'm not certain, but I think this might be it. I was doing some research on um, different orcas that are being held in captivity to this day and if they have planned releases and whatnot. And I found one. And apparently, this orca goes by the name of Lolita. And she is located in the Miami Seaquarium. And get this. She is 57 years old and has been held in captivity for over five decades. However, Chris, that's all coming to an end sooner than later because we find out that Lolita is headed back within the next few months to her original homeland within the Puget Sound in Washington State. Now, she'll be held in uh, an isolated area first as she gets more acclimated with her natural surroundings. But the part that I found even more endearing and hopeful was that researchers believe that a 90-year-old female orca that resides in the Puget Sound is indeed Lolita's mother. If you can believe it, a mother... And her baby may very well be reunited for the first time in over 50 years. How is that for ending on a positive note, Chris? How beautiful is that going to be? And let's hope that they recognize each other, which I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt that they would. I, it seems that the bond there is so strong that, that, and like you were mentioning too, I think that, that these orcas 
perhaps could be actually smarter than us. So in terms of identifying, they might be able to figure it out. I just hope that Olalita can reacclimate to those conditions and not find herself in uh, deep waters. No, 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 no. 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 I mean, we, we, we were ending on a high note, and now we just sunk right back down to to, <laughs> to the lowest of lows. Well, nonetheless, Chris, I mean, let's hope that, that, that this is the beginning of the end for all these type of uh, marine shows, you know? I mean, go watch a documentary or, or go look at a, a video on YouTube or something like that. <laughs> you know, you, we, we don't need to be doing this to these animals. It just It's not necessary. Yeah, just leave the fucking things alone. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm team Orca all the way. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, whatever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't get into the water to give them no. a high five, but no, I, 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 I totally will admire honest. them from afar. If they stay away from me, like I, like I am with all people, if you stay away from me, I'll stay away from you. I mean, that's a that's a good way to live my life, and it's a good way for <laughs> the orcas to live theirs. I think so. Uh, that's it, man. I mean, that's the the, the story of uh, Tilikum the orca, and um, you know, like I said, there our hearts go out to uh, the victims of uh, the the families of those that uh, succumb to uh, the actions uh, of Tilikum. But uh, you can't really place blame on him. He was taken out of his natural habitat. And, I mean, you can only assume that these type of uh, tragedies are going to happen sooner than later. And, unfortunately, they did. But uh, I think at this point, we're starting to see society taking a a better look and becoming more educated on uh, the ramifications of taking these wild animals and putting them into captivity. And I hope that ends sooner than later. (laughs) Much like this podcast, Chris, because I'm looking at the time here and I have over 105 minutes to edit. And uh, let's see what I can whittle this thing down to. But uh, (laughs) as for me, I think I got to call it quits for the night. I've had it and I am exhausted. And I, I just saw some kind of little rodent... (laughs) <laughs> with the uh, glowing eyes outside the BTCRF. And um, if I am a man who's going to be true to my word, I'm not going to harm this thing. I'm, I'm going to try to scurry past it if I can. So uh, with that said, let me give the rundown and uh, we can get the hell out of here for the night. You want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to get in touch with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at the Between the Cracks podcast. If you'd like to become one of our lovely Patreons, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. So with that said, and without any further ado, Chris, what do you say we wish to find, find people out in podcast land the fondest? Oh, affair.